get set up here a little bit. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray, prepare our hearts for God's word this morning. Lord, as we enter the second week of Advent, we are reminded of our human frailty and of our weakness. And oftentimes we may wonder out loud, where are you? Lord, help us just to be sensitive to your spirit this morning, to be quiet before you, to listen and to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I really enjoy Family Worship Sunday. It's probably one of my favorite times of our, of our worship times. You never know exactly what's going to happen, right, or what kids are going to say, so that's always fun. But have you ever had one of those um, parent-child interactions, those are-we-there-yet interactions? I, I think we all have. Um, one afternoon, a dad and his son were at the movies, and the son, Scott, who was seven years, seven years old at the time, was anxious for the, mu- for the movie to begin. And as the different advertisements appeared on the screen, Scott leaned over and whispered, Dad, when's the movie going to start? In a, in a few minutes. One minute later, he, he asked again, Dad, when is it going to start? So it's in just a little bit, just have a little patience. And after he asked the third time, the dad said, you know, Scott, don't ask me that question again. Just sit there and wait. And so Scott, who was a quiet and obedient child, was fidgeting and fidgeting. He tried to be patient, and finally he leaned over and whispered a different question. Dad, can you make time go faster? Well, we've all been there, right? We've all, we've all been like that. Here are a few uh, memes that I, I looked up about being patient. So this is me trying to find where the Bible says, like and share and God will bless you. Or this one. Bless me with patience, not opportunities to be patient. I've had plenty of those and they don't seem to be working. The actual patience. And then here's a picture of Noah waiting for the two snails. (laughs) Take your time. Take your time. And finally, a quote from Joyce Meyer. Patience is not the ability to wait, but the ability to keep a good attitude while waiting. Well, this is the second week of Advent, and it extends our time of waiting and expectation. But now, instead of excitement, instead of joy, instead of anticipation, there are questions. Questions like, how long? Or why? Or what next? And in addition to being a humorous time of waiting and testing our patience, this can be a season of disappointment and grieving for many people. Our spiritual lives can echo that as well, right? This can be a helpful time of quiet, of quiet reflection. We're kind of following through the book, Living the Christian Life as a Devotional, and so we're, we're kind of, at least I am this week, following the same outline. So if you've, if you've gotten the book, if you read it, or if you came last week, Pastor Curtis went through kind of the same, the same outline um, uh, method. The first part of it is called Approaching God. So as we approach God this week, we may have some questions for him, and 
you know, I've written some of them in the, in the outline um, file that you've got. Like, Lord, if you're sovereign over all things, why do you let so much evil continue? Or, how long, Lord, how long will injustice continue to permeate your creation? When will you bring justice and judgment to an unjust system and world? And like the Christians of old, we cry, Maranatha, which translated means, Lord Jesus, come. It's a plea, it's a cry. Have you ever felt like that? Where the only answer to all of life's problems is for the end of history to come sooner. Jesus said only the Father knew when that time would be. Even Jesus himself didn't know the exact hour and time. And so following along in the living the Christian life, we want to present ourselves to God. We want to ask him and, and say to him and recognize in ourselves, Lord, in my body and in my soul, I am groaning as well. The pains of aging, the cold of winter, the aching of sin in my soul, the emptiness of worldly pursuit. Yes, the world is broken, and I am broken as well. I need you now more than ever. We need to not only look outward at all the problems going on all around us, we need to look inward as well. We need to take a good inventory of our own souls and ask ourselves, where are we broken? And what parts of our lives are hurting and, and in, in pain? And, and where are we in need of healing? And then finally, we want to invite God's presence. Perhaps more appropriately, we ask God permission to enter his presence. And we may ask, Lord, help me slow down the pace of my life to take a breath, to pause in quiet reflection and to remember that you are God and I am not. While we can't spend all of our time in reflection, that would be too self-indulgent. In the small amount of time that we do spend there, may we slow down enough to hear God's voice speaking into our own lives and also pointing us to the places where we can help to minister and to be a healer as well as be the one being healed. Listen to God. This week in our listening to God section, we will find three things. The first thing that we will find is that waiting produces honest discomfort. Waiting produces honest discomfort. Habakkuk isn't a name that you hear often. It's not one of the top ten favorite names to name your kid. Habakkuk. Say that with me, Habakkuk. Um, there's not much known about this prophet. He was a prophet of Israel around the time just before the Babylonian captivity. So he might have been a contemporary of Daniel and Jeremiah. There just isn't much known about him other than his message and his name. And his message is a serious one. Again, we want to encourage everyone to bring their physical Bibles with you on Sunday, okay? Um, and so we want you to get used to the idea of turning the pages, of hearing the pages flipping, 
of smelling the pages, of smelling the smell of the Bible, all the sights and sounds that you, that you have with an actual Bible. And if you don't have one, there are Bibles at the, at the ends of the aisles. So those of you who need to grab one, just go ahead and grab one. And if you don't have one at home, you are welcome to take this one with you and read it during the week, read it during the week. So, Habakkuk, to find the minor book, the minor, minor prophet book of Habakkuk, first find the book of Matthew, all right? The first book of the, of the New Testament. And so the book of Matthew is about two-thirds of the way through most Bibles, maybe three-fourths of the way through some other Bibles, all right? And then go backwards, into the, back into the Old Testament, okay? Past Malachi, past Zechariah, past Zephaniah, the Z prophets, as we call them. And then you will find Habakkuk. And don't go too far, because if you go too far, if you blink, you might pass it. It's all of three chapters long. But we're looking at Habakkuk chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. And Habakkuk asked the question, How long, O Lord? How long must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk describes the situation in his nation. Injustice everywhere. Conflicts abound. Destruction and violence are before him. Strife The law is paralyzed and justice doesn't prevail. The wicked hem in the righteous. Habakkuk might as well be describing the United States of America in 2016. Yes or no? We are in a desperate state of affairs as we enter, as we end 2016 and enter 2017. And God does not want us to shrink back from communicating honest discomfort. It's pretty bold of Habakkuk to ask God, the creator of the universe, to to call God to the carpet, right, and ask him, why aren't you doing anything? I see all of this happening around me. Why aren't you doing anything? He wants, God wants us to look around at life and evaluate things for how they really are. And he wants us to honestly share our feelings. He wants wants us to be honest about those. The Psalms is also a place where you find honest emotional expression. Oftentimes it's painful. It's painfully raw in that expression. But again, God does not shy away from, nor, does he, nor is he surprised by it. Let's turn now to the 94th Psalm, Psalm 94. The Psalms can be found roughly in the middle of your Bible. So take your Bible, split it in half, 
Go about to the middle, and there you'll find Psalms, and then turn to Psalm 94. And it's a pretty good long, long psalm, too, so keep your thumb there. Psalm 94 says, O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, O Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob pays no heed. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will not forsake his inheritance. Judgment again will be founded on righteousness, and the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I soon would have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, Your consolation brought great joy to my soul. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, one that brings on misery by its decrees? They band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. While this psalm falls just short of asking God to rain down judgment on the wicked, the unnamed psalmist does call on God to act. And he asks the same question that Habakkuk asks. How long? How long must this keep going on? How long will injustice reign? God, you are sovereign over all things, so why is all this happening? And maybe, more importantly, why is all this happening to me? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever cried out to God in that way? Have you ever experienced loss, felt injustice, wondered out loud why things aren't moving faster? Has your patience been tried? Have you asked of God, how long? How long, O Lord? That's uncomfortable, right? That's uncomfortable. But if you can face that discomfort with honesty before God, without any pretense, I believe you will find God's purposes in it. And more importantly, 
you will find God in it. Today, there is a new fellowship started here at our harvest, championed by a few compassionate people, spearheaded by Margaret Yu, with support from Carol Lowe and Gabe Lowe and Brian Lamb. It's called the Grief Fellowship, and it's a chance to reach out to those who are hurting from recent loss and perhaps are asking the very same questions. How long? Why? What next? This is a chance to express some hurt and pain in an honest and safe place. And I know that there are a few who have already committed to this, and if you're in that place, we want you to encourage you as well. Because you know, despairing reminds us of our need for God. Despairing reminds us reminds us of our need for God. We're going to turn now to the New Testament and look at the book of 2 Corinthians, which can be found right after the Gospels and then right after Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians. So flip to the New Testament, go past the Gospels, past, past Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians, and you will find 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be in chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are in a constant struggle in our lives. We're going to camp out here in 2 Corinthians for a little while. So keep your thumb there or a bookmark in this book. All right, 2 Corinthians starting at verse 6. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. Chapter 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I don't know if you like camping or not. I enjoy camping. My wife Priscilla does not. We both have our own reasons. But I think some of the reasons that Priscilla doesn't enjoy it is that One, everything gets dirty. And then it doesn't feel comfortable, right? It's it's just so, it's so temporary. It's almost like being homeless. (laughs) Can you imagine what it's like to live out at the homeless tent community? under the bridge near the 57 freeway, near Angel Stadium. Did you know that there's a tent community there? If you drive on the five and look to your right as you're passing Angel Stadium, you'll see it. If you drive down the 57 and look to your right, you'll see it. Can you imagine what it must have been like the other day on Thursday with the winds blowing at like 50 miles an hour? If you've ever been camping and it began to rain, you know, you start to scramble a bit, right, really quickly. And then as the rain continues and continues and the wind blows back and forth, you begin to despair a little bit. Is this ever going to end? Are we going to make it out of here alive? Sometimes life gets like that, doesn't it? Well, no wonder we despair because life wasn't supposed to be that way. Camping is supposed to be a pleasant experience with sunshine and God's beautiful creation all around us, the sound of running water and birds chirping and gentle deer grazing in the meadow. But Paul tells us what life is really like in this world sometimes, doesn't he? Oh, sometimes it's great and everything is wonderful and perfect and You wonder if heaven will be a little bit like that. But more often we experience life as jars of clay. What does he mean when he says that we have these treasures in jars of clay? Another translation might use the words earthen vessel. It means our lives, our bodies are fragile. They are temporal. They're not meant to be our permanent dwelling place. Paul reminds us that outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are renewed day by day. We are reminded that we live in tents, temporal dwelling places, and that we groan. We long for something better, for a better place. We long for eternity. 
we long for heaven. And this despairing, this groaning, reminds us that we need God. We need God, not only in times of consolation, when things are good, when things are going well, when it seems we are hearing God in everything we touch and see and we feel. But we also need God in times of desolation, when there is lack, when we are in pain or dis-ease, or when we are grieving loss. Consolation and desolation. Those are two terms that are often used in spiritual formation. They were first coined by St. Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the Jesuit order. Times of desolation bring us back to our knees in prayer and remind us of our need for God. We are reminded that God is God and that we are not. Are you in a place of consolation right now? Give thanks. Give thanks, because it may not be long before you come to a place of desolation. It's just part of the rhythm of life. Are you in a place of desolation? Cry out to God in honest discomfort. Let him know your pains and heartaches. And be reminded that we are always in need. We are always in need of God. But also know that there is a divine response to our need. There is a divine response to our need. Our, God's response to our questioning points us back to Christ. Points us back to Christ. Back to the Old Testament. And uh, in this section, we will also turn to the New Testament. Because Jesus is not a New Testament, not just a New Testament Messiah. We see Jesus in both the Old and New Testaments. So first we turn to the major prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah is the fourth book after the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament. So find Psalms again, and then flip forward past um, Proverbs, past, uh, what else is there? Lamentations, uh, Song of Solomon, yes, to Isaiah. And then find chapter 40. Now here is the prophet speaking of the comfort to come provided by God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 through 4. Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all their sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. This passage um, sounds quite familiar, doesn't it? Uh, if it does sound familiar to you, probably, you probably remember one of the New Testament versions of it. 
because it is quoted in all four of the Gospels. But we're looking at the one found in Mark, in the book of Mark. So now flip forward to the Gospels, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, at the very beginning. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Mark tells us the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send you my messenger ahead of you. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, who is this voice calling in the wilderness? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. We are told in the Christmas story that it was Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. He was the one chosen by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to clear the pathway, to point everyone not to himself, not to bring attention to what he had to say, but to clearly point people to the hope of God, to Jesus. This is what is said about John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke, just one book over from the book of Mark. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. For he, John the Baptist, will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people, many of the people of Israel, to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. God's response to us when we despair, when we ask the questions, how long, when we're filled with questions, God's response is to point us back to Jesus. The answer, as cliche as it may sound, is always Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. As the old hymn said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. and The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So, how are we to respond to God in this second week of Advent? We're going to turn now to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. So, we're in Mark now. Turn past Luke, John, Acts, and you'll find Romans. And then find the very middle of Romans, chapter 8. And chapter 8 is, I feel, is one of the key chapters in the Bible about living the Christian life. About living the Christian life. And we're going to be here, we're going to read quite a few of the verses in here as well, from 8 to 28 and then from 31 to 39. So let me read that for you. Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. Not only so, but we ourselves, who, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, didn't, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him, how will he not also along with him, Graciously give us all things. Who will, bring any, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What then is our response to God? If we're honest with God about what we're experiencing, then we will see that we are groaning, waiting for the day of redemption. But as we look to Christ, we see we are not alone in our struggle. Jesus himself knows our every weakness and experienced the very same struggles. Yet he was victor over death. In these last few verses of this passage, I find the most helpful, most powerful response to God that we can have. Verses 33 through 39. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. 
Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even death itself, then what have we to fear? The answer to the question, how long? God's timing is perfect. Say that to the person next to you. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. You see, while God's timing is perfect, we don't have to wait for him to respond to our questions before we act. We don't have to wait. In the midst of our pain, we can still reach out to others who may be going through exactly the same thing that you're going through or have gone through and minister to them. So in addition to expressing our grief, expressing our hopes, expressing our frustrations, we can also express what? Gratitude, thanksgiving. Right after thanksgiving comes what? Black Friday. <laughs> and, what, and right after Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But then what comes after Cyber Monday? Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday. Have you heard of Giving Tuesday? I just heard about it this year. It's the day after Cyber Monday. I looked it up, and this is what the website said. Created by the team at the Belfer Center for Innovation and Social Impact at the 92nd Street Y, a cultural center in New York City that, since 1874, has been bringing people together around the values of service and giving back. Giving Tuesday connects diverse groups of individuals, communities, and organizations around the world for one common purpose, to celebrate and encourage giving. A team of influencers and founding partners join forces, collaborating across sectors, offering expertise, and working tirelessly to launch Giving Tuesday and have continued to shape, grow, and strengthen the movement. And it's about five years old now. And while Giving Tuesday has already passed, you can, exp- you can participate in it next year. So remember, after Thanksgiving comes Black Friday, then Cyber Monday, and then Giving Tuesday. And many have already participated in Operation Christmas Child, right? Both in packaging together shoeboxes, but also working at the Operation Christmas Child warehouse to get those packages ready to be shipped and to pray over each 
package, each package, each shoebox that gets sent out has a prayer said over it before it gets shipped out. Amazing. What a great opportunity to join in what God has already, is already doing around us, right? And of course, we've already announced it several times, but our annual Mexicali Christmas trip is a little earlier this year because Christmas falls on Sunday. But it's still a great opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ to the world. So in spite of the challenges, in spite of our losses, the difficulties that we face in life, there is always opportunity to shine the light of Jesus to a lonely and dark place. Let's say this closing prayer together. And it's printed in your outline, and it's also up on the board. Let's say it together, all right? Let's start. Dear Lord, thank you for letting me express my lament before you without any judgment or condemnation. But also, thank you for not just leaving me to wallow in despair, but pointing me back to the only true source of joy and contentment. Please help me this Christmas season to reflect the spirit of Christ in all, to all, so the hope of the world, born long, so long ago, may once again shine. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we know you hear our prayers, and we know you answer them with love and compassion and wisdom. And so we look to you, Lord, in our times of consolation and in our times of desolation through this living the Christian year, through the season of Advent and then Christmas. May we cry out, even so come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, even so come, in Jesus' name.